Man, this has been a while since I've been up here. Two and a half years, y'all. What a joy it is to be back in Sullivan's Auditorium. It's been two and a half years. I'm going back to that. Like two and a half years. It's felt like we've been sojourning in the desert, being tested by God, and we like arrived back at the promised land. Amen? For those of you who don't know, my name is Jason Lalone. I serve in the lead pastor team at Park Community Church. We're a family of interdependent churches, 13 churches across the city, and I serve as lead pastor here in Rogers Park. And today we're continuing our study in the book of Psalms, which are the Bible's praise songs and prayer cries of God's people, which convey what it looks like to have a real relationship with God, live in life in the real world. For centuries, the Psalms have helped God's people understand his character more intimately and helped them to express praise for all of his goodness towards them since he is the source of everything good. James 1.17 explicitly says, for every good and perfect gift comes from above. God is so good. Just two weeks ago after uh, dinner, we have a little time of devotion. We were talking about God's attribute of goodness. And we just broke out in song on the table and said, God is good all the time and all the time. But also, the Psalms encourage us to be honest with ourselves and our circumstances when they're not so good. Yeah, we sing praises, but we also cry out in the midst of difficulties and disruptions. And you'll find some of the writers discouraged and depressed in their trouble. And they say, and they say so. For example, in Psalm 22, the writer says, I am a worm and not a man. Scorned by men and despised by the people. Listen, when you start calling yourself a worm, you're in rough shape. Yet whether you're all wound up with joy, kind of like I am this morning, or feeling slimy and despised like a worm, the Psalms remind us that we have a God who sees us, who hears us, and he delivers us. If you have your Bible or your device with you, meet me in Psalm 34. Psalm 34, if you're using one of the house Bibles that you got on the way in, it's going to be on page 433. And as always, here at Rogers Park, if you're a guest here with us this morning and you don't own a Bible, make sure to take one home with you as a small gift from us. We are so glad that you're here this morning with us. But before we jump into Psalm 34, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? The Psalm sings I will bless the Lord at all times even if I don't feel like it his praise shall be continually be in my mouth my soul makes its boast in the Lord let the humble hear and be glad oh magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together for I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. For this man, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, our divine warrior, encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 
Come, O children, and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What manner of woman is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. For many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all of his bones and not one of them will be broken. Affliction will slay the wicked and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. In other words, wickedness is always its own executioner. But the Lord redeems the life of his servants and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I was playing around with a few titles for this message and thought I'd call it The God You Can Trust, which is true but also kind of boring. Then I thought about The Praise of Answered Prayer, which is also true but still kind of bland. So how about we tag this text? There's going to be trouble, but take heart because the Lord is near. Father, we bless you today and we give you thanks for your goodness and your grace. And even now as we were able to Read your precious word. We ask that your word would do what it does, that it would encourage our hearts, that it would convict our hearts, that it would bless our hearts, that you would grant us faith to believe this morning. And Father, first and foremost, that you'd remind us once again that you are with us all the way. So we commit that to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> it is so good to be here, you guys. Seriously. It's still hot in here, though. It's like, they, you know, a lot of good stuff, but it's like, it's still hot, you know, during the warm time. Um, praise the Lord. I'll give the, I'll praise the Lord at all times, right? Now to set the context so we understand the circumstance for which the psalmist writes, you'll see in your Bible a brief summary of the predicament that King David is, who is the author, found himself in before he was king. And in your Bibles above verse 1, it will say something like this, of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech and he drove him out and he went away. And what he's referring to is found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Love 1 and 2 Samuel, one of my favorite books in all of Scripture. But 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where David, now get this, follow this, who was just anointed as the future king of Israel five chapters earlier, slayed Goliath four chapters earlier, was serving in the king's court, had hero sung song about him, and was given two royal wives three chapters earlier, and had the loyal friendship of Jonathan two chapters earlier, suddenly found himself one chapter earlier, fearfully on the run from the jealous King Saul, dodging spies and in the territory of Israel's enemies without food and without a weapon, seeking to be an undercover mercenary for King Abimelech, who was the king of Gath. Now what's so significant about Gath? That's where Goliath was from. David, the handsome hero, remember the handsy, handsome and ruddy guy, 
who was also a musician, which always makes you more handsome when you're a musician, right? (laughs) Who was once full of drip, as my kids would say, was dropped. And after being recognized in Gath as the one who the singers sang about, the one who slayed their champion with a sling and a stone and then cut off his head, evaded death by acting like a madman in the king's presence in hopes of escape, and it worked. As the king would have nothing to do with someone so civilized in his presence. And Psalm 34 is David's response to being delivered from that trouble. Which I'm going to break up in two parts this morning. The first 10 verses are testimony. And the, second, and the next 12 verses are teaching. First let's look at his testimony. Now if you do a quick scan through the psalm, you'll see that the Lord, or Yahweh, which is God's personal name, which most often used in scripture, is mentioned 16 times, and is pronoun 10 times. And so from the very front, David, as he shares his testimony, wants to make sure who is the hero of the story, and he gives the credit to where it is due. His rescue ultimately came from the Lord. And in many ways, as often as it is with us, despite himself. And so what do you do when you've been rescued from big time trouble? I don't know about you, but I give praise. And it's the kind of praise that like makes everything else around you praiseworthy. You praise God for like all the big stuff. And man, you praise God for things like, Lord, I'm just thankful for that parking spot. But Chicago, that's kind of a big thing, I guess. But you, you know what I mean? You know what that kind of praise is, right? It makes everything else, your perspective changes. Like when you've been delivered from some trouble, all of a sudden you just start being thankful for a lot of stuff you didn't see before. Because verse 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. And you know what's interesting? The Hebrew word for all here, do you know what it means? you know where I'm going? you know what it is? It's all. Some, somebody said, Lindsay, was that you? Thank you, Lind. Lindsay's heard that punchline like 45 times uh, here at Sullivan. But it's the good times and the bad times because as God's people, we know that the bad things which happen to us, they aren't meaningless. They may not be fun to go through and we may not know exactly what they'll produce right away, but they just aren't like this blip on the evol- in the evolutionary process. No, in all things, Romans 8 says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And for followers of Jesus, that means bad things turn for our good eventually. Good things can never be forever lost and the best things are yet to come. How many of us here this morning recognize that if we didn't go through trying and difficult challenges and circumstances, we would never be who we are or where we are today? Thank you, Eddie. That's exactly right. I mean, if you just stop and think about it and you play the tape back, it doesn't mean that we were all pumped up about it when we were going through it. But when we came out the other end, Kinsey, as we talked this morning, we had a story. We were a little more humble, a little more grateful, a little bit more wise, and a little bit more secure and trusting that our God who brought us to it is going to bring us through it. 
And when you've been delivered from some mess, you naturally boast and you bless, wanting others to experience what you're rejoicing in. In verse 3 it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together, exclamation point in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. They are the invitations to encounter the pure joy of a triumph that someone else has done in your circumstance. Doesn't that sound like the gospel? It's as if David is saying, you know what, when you've tried everything else, to make your situation better, and it only seems to be getting worse, I invite you to give God a try. Because I'm confident that he's going to show up. Because you see in verses 4 and 6, when David, the poor man, cried out and sought the Lord, and that is key, that he went to God in prayer. He was delivered from all his fears and he was saved out of all of his troubles. And this is one of those times where I have to say that I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Because I'm here to tell you the truth this morning. You are going to have times of fear and times of trouble. And I know that we would all would say, well, yes, of, of course, Jason. But I just want to remind you this morning that they are par for the course. So you don't get too knocked off by it. And you respond like David did, maybe even with the help of others, remembering that God is near. He is working something good in your life. And that this reminder will help you this morning to hang in there. When our oldest daughter Lincoln was beginning kindergarten, Lindsay and I would drop her off at school in the morning. So some of us are really like back in that again, right? A week of the drop-offs at school. And we, of course, were so proud and yet a little nervous for her because, well, that's my baby girl, right? But after about a week or so of drop-offs, Lincoln began to tremble and cry when she came near the entrance of the school and she didn't want to go inside. And so naturally, Lindsay asked the teacher if she noticed anything out of the ordinary. And then, of course, in my head, I went to straight to, who's making my little girl feel that way? Like, somebody's got to be doing something. And this lasted for some weeks as every morning... There she would be trembling in tears, holding on to us and not wanting to go in. But the teacher didn't notice anything out of the ordinary and we didn't find that anyone was bullying her or anything else worse for that matter. And so we had no answers and it was, it was hard. Now psychologists and sociologists no doubt have some good things to say about these kind of stages in a child's development, but here's what we got. Lindsay and I went to prayer. And I confess it was more of Lindsay than me in this matter. But one afternoon, Lindsay and I were out on a prayer walk and talk through the neighborhood. And um, we were on the corner of Pratt and Ridge. And we were sharing about, um, or I was sharing about Lincoln's fear and also some of my fears. And as we were on that corner, I'll never forget it. A Pratt and Ridge, we were walking eastbound. 
she kind of stopped and straight faced me. And she said, Jason, I've been praying about this. And God is saying, I am teaching Lincoln to call upon me. And at, and at that moment, I felt as if God himself spoke those words to me. Okay, God, but can we do this another way, please? And so we kept encouraging her that God was with her and that he was there to help her. And it was a little while later after I would tuck Lincoln into her bed at night in her top bunk, when I left the room, I began to hear her talk quietly. And so I'd come back to the door around the corner where she couldn't see me and I would listen in to hear what she was saying. And it was her praying things like, dear God, thank you for my family. Thank you for our church. Thank you for my friends. And would you help me not to be scared at school? And a little while later, she began to stop trembling and crying at school. It took some time. But she and we sought the Lord, and he answered us, and he delivered us from all our fears. And most importantly, it reminded us and began to teach Lincoln that there is going to be trouble. But she can call upon the Lord who is near. And I will take that over anything else in this world, that she would understand that. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For he hears the cries of his children. And David experienced this as well because even though Saul was trying to kill him, while he was fearfully all alone and on the run and without food and without a weapon in enemy territory, what's very fascinating is I ran back through this in 1 Samuel in chapter 21 and 22, we see that God heard his cries and met every one of those needs. First, David went to the high priest in the city of Nob and he received bread to eat. And then he was given Goliath's sword for him to carry. Then he cunningly acted crazy in Gath and he escaped King Abimelech. And then when David, after that, fled to the cave of Adullam, his family found out that he was there and came to him. And get this, too, while also 400 outcasts, men who were described as being, described as being in distress and in debt and discontented, they rallied around him and became his army. All of a sudden, big time, he wasn't alone anymore. And it's amazing how special the fellowship can be when people hang in there and especially come together under unfavorable circumstances. All of a sudden, David was alone and he had a tight group. 
And yes, David was still on the run at this time, and he was still in danger, but God was with him all the way. And this is important for us to understand because the promises of prayer do not mean that God will always change everything difficult in your life, but he will transform your circumstances by the power of his presence and the presence of others that he may send to you, even if you can't quite see it all yet right now. I'm talking about a real relationship with God this morning. David was going to be the king. God was going to make sure of it. And no doubt, God used these circumstances to refine and strengthen him for that future role. But David had to learn and be reminded in a fresh way that his dependence and his deliverance were on God. And good Bible students in here will say, well, David trusted in the Lord to protect his sheep from the lions and those bears. And David definitely trusted in the Lord to help slay Goliath. Those are pretty big deals to trust God in. But trusting in God doesn't just stop back then. There's always more trusting to come. And especially when there are new levels, there are definitely new devils. Now in verse 11 and following, David moves from inviting others to praise to invite others to listen. Come, O children, listen to me and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which has its parallel in the first chapter of the book of Proverbs. And so let's do some teaching. What is the fear of the Lord? In its basic sense, it means to have awe or reverence for God. It, mean, it doesn't mean that we have to like fear him and look up and be, are we afraid that God is just going to slap us upside the head or hit me with a red wiffle ball bat like my mom used to do like every time I messed up, right? Remember those big red wiffle ball bats, the big jumbo ones back in the day? That was like her go-to, you know? It doesn't mean that. No, the fear of the Lord here to move a little bit more, more, more deeply into it, if you put it all together, it means that you trust his promises, you believe his warnings, and you love his character. God is such a good father to us, so we don't want to do anything that would dishonor him or make him unpleased because he's so good. And so we seek to do what is right. And here in Psalm, or verses 13 and 14, it means to keep our tongue from evil and from speaking deceit. By turning away from evil and doing good, that's always the alternative, by the way, to turn to if you are struggling with sin, you get caught up in something bad. I know it may seem like, not seem like rocket science, but always the alternative. It's all throughout the scriptures. First Peter 2 says it explicitly. The, the opposite, to get out of doing something that's evil, begin to do something good. Turn from evil and do good and seek peace and pursue it. Which is the desire, peace that is, for every human heart to be settled in. Chase after peace. 
And that's how you get the good life filled with many good days. And it will also keep you out of the drama and making your circumstances more worse than what they are. Stay away from people who are just dragging you down with them. And not telling you the truth. Are not reminding you of God's goodness and his promises. And are saying another narrative. Stay away. Or remind them, no, you're wrong. God is good. Which leads me to say there may be some here today who may be questioning God's love and goodness. Maybe it was a judgmental message you heard some years ago and it turned you off. Maybe you just got like hellfire and brimstone by somebody. Or maybe it was a professed Christian who wronged you in some way and didn't seek to make it right. Or you've observed, observed some unkind manners Christians may have displayed in conversations around present hot-button cultural issues like politics, sexuality, racism, and abortion. First, I just want to say to you this morning, I am sorry. I'm not sorry for the discussion on those important matters which matter greatly to God and are important for a society as a whole, obviously. But I am sorry for the hurt that you may have experienced from those who have professed Christ and not acted like him. I know I would be mad and hurt too. Because it's jarring for any person to experience such a charged contradiction. But second, I want to say to you that God loves you. He may not be pleased about everything that's happened in your life, just like I'm not super excited about, about it when my kids act up. But God loves you. He knows your hurt, how it got there. He knows all of the backstory. He understands. He knows your sin. And he's being patient with you. He wants your healing. And he desires for you to come under his safe and his good and his loving care because he wants all of us here this morning to experience verse 15 that the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ear are, are toward their cry. He wants us to know that he's not only interested in what he sees but also what we have to say. God is not just up there spectating. He's leaning in to listen to the needs and cries of his children so he can step in to act. And remember, it's not that followers of Jesus don't have troubles, they do. Christianity is not a free get-out-of-trouble card. Many have thought that because they've been told that. And when they found out otherwise, they became disillusioned and they rejected the church as not being good and became disappointed with God. But it was because they based their belief on wrong assumptions. They got bad information. So I want to give you good information. Following Jesus 
is difficult. Just want to put it out there up front. This psalm is joyful, but it's expressed it many times. There's fears, evil, trouble, troubles, plural, afflictions. And for those that follow Jesus, it's because the old you has become a new you, but is still in the process of becoming. Anybody follow that? And it's hard to deal with the old in yourself because the new you're becoming is in direct conflict with the old you once were. I sound like Dr. Seuss up here. And it's in conflict with what's not becoming new in others. But you follow me? This is a fight, you all. This is a spiritual battle. It is hard to follow Jesus. Paul said so. It's hard to be righteous at times, and it's hard to deal with difficult things. But I'm glad this morning that the battle belongs to the Lord. And David encourages us to remember that in verse 17. For when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. Because in verse 18, the Lord is near. The divine warrior is near in time and in space. The Lord is near. And, this what I, and that's exactly what I want us walking out of here with today. As we start back up here in Sullivan High School, back here, that is, worshiping on Sunday mornings through the church 24-7, Monday through Sunday, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people until there's no place left to go, I just want us to remember that the Lord is near. Many of you know that Lindsay works for the police department where she was a 911 operator for 13 years and for nine years now has been a desk officer and court liaison for Evanston. She travels to Skokie and down to 35th and into Chicago as well. And one of her responsibilities is, is to fingerprint those who have been arrested and brought in. Now I'm not a big fan about that part of her job because I know the things people can do to get them arrested and in the same room with Lindsay. And it's across the board, drunk driving, drugs, theft, domestic abuse, shooting, rape, murder. You know, some of the easy things that the police have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. And I am not a fan about that part of her job. Because Lindsay's my wife. I love her. She's amazing. She's the best human being that I know. She's sweet to my sour. But she's also 115 pounds. <laughs> and more often than what I like has to fingerprint those that I mentioned above. I don't like that. 
I have came this close, Lindsay's my witness, to going down to the chief of police in Evanston saying, dude, get her out of that role. This close. And she's been in some challenging situations. And Ed is my witness, Phil, he's here. So good. But one of those challenging situations came back on July 19th. As someone was arrested for a few of those really bad things listed above and brought in. And the person Lindsay described was over twice her size. And let's just say he was not in a good frame of mind. And so thankfully the department recognized this and a few officers were brought in to help her fingerprint to which he began to physically fight. And for an hour and 15 minutes... They were finally able to get him somewhat calmed down and sat, but he refused to let her fingerprint. And she's the one who has to go and let the judge know that they couldn't get the fingerprints, which creates a whole other set of problems. But at 12.30 in the afternoon, on the nose, 12.30, she texted me the situation and asked that I would pray that he would comply. And after a delay in seeing the text, I texted her back at 12.51. 12.30, 12.51. What's the math on that? Letting her know that Ed and Phil and Shine and I, because we were, we were having a staff meeting, we were having lunch together, had prayed for her. And Ed let, off, let us off with a prayer. Dear God, as he always does. You know when Ed prays, he prays, man. Like he like, go, goes right to it. Ed let us off with a prayer. Dear God, make that guy right in his mind. Now later that afternoon, Lindsay texted me to let me know that, bless the Lord, finally the guy let him, or let her fingerprint him. And so I asked her when she got home, because I was trying to be a good, good husband and ask her about how her day went. You know, how's it going? We had to talk about that. You know, how did it end up working out? That was quite an ordeal. And she said, as I went into the judge's chambers and waited to tell the judge that the man wouldn't allow us to fingerprint him, an officer surprisingly walked in and said, hold on. The guy all of a sudden seems to be in his right mind and he just said to me, he'll let you fingerprint him. And now, with a twinkle in my eye, I said, Lince, about how long was it between the time you sent me the text asking for prayer and the time the officer walked into the courtroom to tell you that he was in his right frame of mind and he was ready to be fingerprinted? Oh, about 20 minutes. Friends, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their troubles. Sometimes it takes a little while but sometimes it's right when we ask.
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And let us exalt his name together. There's going to be trouble. But take heart. Because the Lord is near. Father, thank you for being near to us. Remind us of that so that we're encouraged to seek after you in all things. And that we would hear your voice and not the voice of our enemy, even who may be speaking through those who may be following you to discourage. I thank you for the many ways over the years, especially that you've delivered us all from all sorts of troubles. I know we all have stories to share. And even if some of those here this morning are going through troubles and hardships, it's really difficult. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would draw them to yourself and know that you are a good Father who loves to act. And you always hear the cries of those who are brokenhearted and are willing to save those who are crushed in spirit. And Father, for those who may not know Jesus this morning, I pray that the end, of the, the end of the psalm in verse 22, that it would just resonate with, with them, that they would be reminded that that was filled in Christ, that the Lord redeems his servants and he's done it through his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead to give them new life and that you would grant them faith to believe and trust that this morning. So God, I commit that to you as well. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And again, Remind us as we go out these doors today that you are near. We bless you in Jesus' name, amen.